0: We captured maybe like 120 people for that first event. And I was just nice. like, man, like these people are going to be expecting some good content. So what I did was I built these like little tiny dog doors uh, and I had this this Sparrows like lock picking set with the snap gun. And I gave a whole talk on, on how to break into into locks and how a lock works. And these little tiny dog doors were, were just a kind of a, a way to show that, you know, it's not really hard to pick a lock if you just know exactly what to do. And uh, if you got to break into it after the event, you got to take your little marker and actually sign the door with the date. And I still bring it to, to events like at Sector when I was doing a talk. That's awesome. That yeah. Um, so, yeah, physical security is definitely huge, especially when you've got cars involved.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to the Toronto Tech Podcast. Today, I'm joined by three guests from the digital security community here in Toronto. We cover everything from physical and digital security to what's happening in the industry. And we have a good laugh about the Internet of Things. This was a long discussion, so I've split it into two parts. If you hear a topic or acronym you're not familiar with, chances are you'll find it in the episode notes. Here's episode six, part one of the Toronto Tech Podcast. Today I'm joined by Brian Bourne from Task, Nick Alex from Defcon Toronto, better known as DC416, mm-hmm. and Ophelia Chen from the Toronto chapter of the Open Web Application Security Project, better known as OWASP. Thanks everyone for being here. Thanks.
0: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah.
1: So the three of you lead different communities related to security here in Toronto. And from attending some of your events firsthand, I see that you guys put on a very different kind of event. It's a different kind of community. I'd like to take a few minutes to have each of you introduce yourselves and your community and tell us how you got started and what you're all about.
2: Sure. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, uh, so I represent Task, which is a, the Toronto Area Security Clatch, which is what Task stands for. Um, we came up with that, I guess, 2006 was our first event, the start of 2006. Um, and we've been running more or less consistently every month, uh, with the exception of December for obvious reasons, the last Wednesday of every month from 6 to 9 p.m. And generally the format is we bring out two speakers, so first speaker will go, then we'll have a short break, maybe a sponsor message, and then a second speaker. While well, Our November event was over 200 people, our August event this year was over 200 people, which is, I guess, strange that a summer event is that big. But um, generally around 120, 150 each month. So that's task, and it's uh, all security-focused. It's awesome. Uh, I'm I'm Nick. Uh, I actually was one of the founders of
0: uh, DefCon Toronto. Uh, Before it was called DefCon Toronto, I I started a a little meetup called the Toronto Ethical Hackers Club. And it was just a way for for me to reach out to the community and talk about pen-testing tools, red-teaming, finding out what the latest vulnerabilities are, how to take... uh, researchers pocs and actually weaponize them for an engagement Uh, and i really wanted to have a community around that in order to uh, facilitate that discussion because i i I personally i couldn't i couldn't really find any uh so i started this little meetup and then uh, a friend of mine dolev who, who came in from from israel he's like hey i realize that you know israel has a has a defcon israel uh nick like uh you have this sort of ethical hacker group I was wondering uh if you knew of any you know defcon toronto groups and i said no no like uh, i actually don't know of don't know of any of that uh so i was like if you guys want if you want to start it up with me let's do it so defcon toronto now has about uh 1800 members we've been going on for about two years give or take a few months and we've been doing the same thing every month try to keep ourselves active uh, our style that way that we present is we do either workshops really hands-on activities. Uh, We'll invite two to three speakers to talk about their domains. We like to keep uh, each month uh, theme-based, whether it's a web application, reverse engineering, uh, physical security, and we'll, we'll kind of break it up like that.
3: Cool.
4: Um, I am Ophelia Chan. Everyone calls me Ophi. I am one of the co-leads of the OAuth Toronto chapter, so that's the Open Web Application Security Project. We're a global not-for-profit organization uh, that operates out of a bunch of different countries. The Toronto chapter itself, I think, started in 2018, um, just operating out of a single consulting office, and it operates sort of like as individual workshops or individual presentations that are done by speakers on a semi-regular basis. We're not as regular as Task. We try to have a monthly meetup, but it it tends to depend in terms of timing. Uh, We do them in the downtown Toronto area between 6 and 8 p.m. after work, but the actual day of the week or what topic it is really depends on what kind of speakers we can get. Um, And as the name probably suggests, we do try to focus on application security, although we're moving more and more away from just focusing on web application security and onto general application security, because the market is going sort of that way. And we have a lot of different projects. Because it is a global organization, there is a development community that actually contributes to different projects. So we have a whole list of flagship projects that are developed and open source, Uh, for the community we have a bunch of different pieces of how shall I say documentation for people who are trying to look for guidelines on how to do code review or how to do maturity model assessments on their application security lifecycle, and a lot of other different pieces so if you're thinking about like application security there's a bit of open source material for every piece of this secure SDLC Um, and then going now into like Overlapping places like privacy and requirements and those types of things. Um, it's a very, very wide range of different things, which is, but they're all appsec focused. So that's, I think, where we differ from uh, Task and uh, DC four one six quite a bit is uh, the focus, like the narrower focus on app- application security. So that's what we're like. That's
1: right. So how would you guys explain? Briefly, what is the difference between these three communities for someone who's not very tech or very uh, security inclined?
2: I would say TAS tends to be a little bit more generalist. We we try to to keep topics um, for very broad interests, and I often tell people who ask, "What kind of people come to your group?" Like when we try to cover a management talk, we mostly get techie people who are looking for that, who don't do that for a day job. And when we do the techie talks, we get a lot more managers who don't get to do that in their day job. And so people actually tend to show up for the events that are opposite what they normally do. And so for that reason, our talks tend to be a little bit more state of the nation kind of thing for the topic. And really, when we first started the group back, I'm trying to, I said 2006 at the start, but I'm thinking it's 2005. I'd have to actually check that. It's, it's been uh, a while. A long, long time. <laughs> like a long time. A while. There, there wasn't really any any other groups or communities. It was before Meetup existed. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we we wanted to bounce around a lot of different topics. And really, the goal was to just bring more people into the security community. Now, it's a hot career path. Back then, it was something a few niche players did, but really everybody else needed to, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And so uh, that was really kind of the foundation of the group. And from there, like, that group kind of spun into myself and a couple others realizing, hey, there's a real gap in the market. And then we started Sector, which is a, a for-profit kind of side of things. Um, but Task is always maintained as the completely community-based, free to everybody. We don't really care who you are. If you're interested, sit down, grab a slice of pizza, and come on. And uh, that's yeah. kind of always been our MO.
1: <laughs> and not to say that that's why I showed up to Task the first time, but <laughs> the pizza is definitely a pro. Um, but actually, that was my first exposure to the idea that Toronto has a security community, was I heard about Task and came back when you guys were in the pharmacy building of U of T.
2: We have moved around a few buildings. Yeah. It turns out when you're looking for space for 200 people and... Uh, you have a very limited budget in downtown Toronto there's you, you have to take what you get <laughs> yeah no, I can I definitely agree. relate to that <laughs>
0: yeah finding
4: space hardest part yeah,
0: yeah. it's it's especially hard when uh, in, in Defcon Toronto we've got everyone from like executives senior managers to students to people who just love to cause mischief because it has the DEF CON name associated with it, and then you're losing venue yeah, sponsors it. because people are hacking into the AC and, and HVAC systems. Oh. In
4: venue. Okay, so no, I'm kidding. really lucky I don't have the same like people coming to my thing as I that, as I do to you, to like task. We, we, and we, yeah. We've this. had that
2: issue, and we don't have anywhere near the DEF CON kind of association with hackers. And we still get, we've had, been turned down from venues because you're a group of hackers. <laughs> yeah, we're,
0: we're a bunch of scary people. Yeah. Um, but I guess the the way I would answer that question is, you know, I, I did go to a, a task event and I did have a really great time. Um, the part that, you know, I feel like DEF CON kind of associates in, in a different way is um, it, it's part of my DNA. I love to see things with with, with my hands. I love to just... Do a demo live. I like to see things live. I like to be very hands-on with a workshop, and uh, whether or not you you have a background in it or you don't is is totally okay because the the presenter will go and here and, and he or she will, will ask. They'll say, "Who here is is a is a pro at this? Who here is a, a junior?" and be able to actually tailor the delivery of the content uh, in that manner. So uh, definitely, you know, I like the whole style of you know. Here's my car. Uh, everyone, let's let's work together in a parking lot and try to break into it.
1: <laughs> That's right, and I see that all the time. Uh, I watch a ton of Def Con talks. If I if I'm honest, it's probably the biggest part of my YouTube history. And a lot of their presentations are they bring in a digital lock and they they show you what you can do with it, and then they you know pop it open digitally or the the car hacks. There's two two gentlemen that I, f- I forget their names, but most recently did a Charlie Miller G- and
2: Chris Falisek. Those guys. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, I love the demos that they do, and they're able to get into the systems and, ex- and explain what they're doing and then show you a car driving and then, you know, apply the ABS so that you hit the brake and you see someone hitting the brake and the car is not stopping. Yeah. And those Charlie demos Chris in a ditch
2: doing that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually very unique about the DC416 for a big difference from what we do. I think it's great.
4: I think I already talked about our areas, like AppSec, so... A lot of security tends to focus on like either governance or the infrastructure portion or like, uh, threat intel and those kinds of things. Like They're the sexy areas, right? AppSec's really kind of a very people-centric part of the security industry, and a lot of people don't like dealing with that portion, and it's also fairly new in terms of just the amount of budget that's like allocated towards application security. So we've been doing advocacy for appsec for years at least 10 like i've been in the industry for 10 years and i think i've still i'm still explaining cross-site scripting to people so in in a sense the focus on that one topic is um interesting and i think is the the key differentiator and we also have a lot of like students in our area and a lot of like governance people in our area that maybe you guys don't get as much of in general there's a lot of people coming to our our Meetups, trying to figure out what's going on in the AppSec side, and understand like what resources are out there and what that landscape kind of looks like. Um, I think they're just like there are some places that are just getting into it that are kind of looking to figure out what's the difference between like different tool sets and um, that's one of the places where they can have some sort of conversation with a relatively small group of people people i think we have 30 to 50 people per session usually so it's a little bit more intimate than task with the 200 people yeah Um, so you can really get into some of the details and you can talk to people from different areas and different places we do get a lot of students though like lots and lots of them because the schools are actually trying to get into the AppSec space but they're not there yet i mean they do pen testing courses and that's pretty much it
2: I think students coming to all, all of these different communities is actually massive value for mm. the security community and profession in general. I think so. Uh, I, I can, you know, I'll speak for Task here, where I I know for fact many students who have come to Task regular have ended up with employers who regularly show up at Task, That's um, true. and that opportunity to interact at the bar after and all the rest is quite substantial. Heck, I, I, I know I've hired from people who attended Task regularly and. I know a number who have. So yeah. it's yeah. a great way for people to connect with the community, especially the keen students. It really separates them from the rest of their class.
0: Maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And only now, recently, I've started to ask in the interview questions like, what do you do when you're not studying or when you're not you know, currently employed and, and you know, working on your projects? What do you do at home? Do you have a home lab? What communities do you get involved with? What, what open source projects do you contribute to and commit to? And uh, every now and then I'll hear a wasp or, or task, or, and some people I've I've hired, you know, because I I know what they can do straight out of DC four one six. So it's it's that it's that level of passion that you can't really you can't teach.
2: Yeah, I mean, we were in the career fair at sector, and you know, we had a couple people asking different ways, like how can I f- connect with employers? How do I separate myself? Have you gone to any of these user communities? Cause like at the start of task, every task meeting, we ask who's hiring. I don't think there's ever been less than eight employers in the room hiring. <laughs> like, go talk to that person at the break. They're hiring. Right? But if you don't leave the house and you don't come to the communities, you don't meet them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that part of the events always really takes the pressure off for me, especially when I was a student coming to task. I was like, oh, there's security professionals everywhere that I look. I'm just a student. I'm only learning what a, how to do a buffer overflow. I'm only learning about these concepts and I'm surrounded by people who do it professionally. So the ability at, at the end to have a, a space where you, the pressure's off. It's not a presentation. It's not someone at the front of the room and you standing up and asking a question, it's at the bar over a pint. And you can just walk up and say, Hey, uh, your talk was amazing. Uh, I, here's my situation. And I'm interested to hear more or I'm interested to connect, uh, when I graduate in, in May, you know.
2: And for the most part, everybody in the security community is pretty anxious to share their knowledge and help somebody else forward.
4: Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. People don't seem to know that, so I, like I think job number one is just opening up to people and saying, "No, I will talk to you." But so will the, all these other five hundred people who you meet at all these other community events. Um, you'll run into the like one percent of assholes, but like yeah. uh, for the most part, the Toronto com- security community is amazing. You just have to open your mouth and ask them, right?
1: Yeah. That's something I really got as I'm not in the security community. I work as a dev. But one thing I really see in the security community is that willingness to mentor somebody. And all that you need to do is ask. And it's, I've seen it so many times from different security community members that I, I see that it's true. And I, I, I honestly wish that every community was that way, that just welcomed people who were willing to learn but didn't yet know everything.
0: Yeah, exactly, and and being a dev, you probably know exactly what it's like when you've got your your, your security engineer coming in and saying, "Hey, Sergio, you kind of uh, wrote something that's not really secure here, buddy," and and always kind of bring you down, bring down the the IT community or the admins and say, you know, this isn't secure and trumpeting away their their sort of audit and compliance regulatory checklists, and it's, and it's at that point when when I realized like these guys they have you know. Being a dev myself, like I wasn't 100% security coming out of it. I actually have a, uh, a DevOps background. I kind of transitioned into uh, security just because I was so, uh, I guess, enlightened or bewildered by the amount of power that you know uh, a security professional really has. And just the knowledge alone of how these networks and endpoints and applications function and work and the little vulnerabilities, um, that kind of uh, was... You know, when being a dev, when you think you can just control the whole world, being able to build the next super application or the new website uh, of the future, you kind of feel like you've got all the power. But, you know, once you look at that security com- community, it can be very daunting. You know, you have a bunch of people sitting around trying to break your application constantly just to make a name for themselves, or you've got people out there who will break applications to make a buck. I really wanted to understand what that whole community was about and
2: uh, just wanted to dive in, you know, head first. And did you have somebody that like reached out you reached out to this kind of structure you you join a community to um
0: so actually the you? the person who was the very first professional that kind of got me into the security community uh was was laura Payne. Uh, oh yeah yeah she's, awesome. she's definitely a part yeah. of task and mm-hmm. a part of sector yeah and i asked her i was like hey do you want to grab a quick little coffee with me and because uh, I, I know that she, she was working at bemo uh, still is like doing phenomenal stuff in the industry uh, and i know she's helping out with a lot of communities and i was just getting into the security uh space especially you know from a community standpoint where i started up this little you know pen testing uh meetup and it was at that point where she was like hey nick uh, you, so you do pen testing on the side we would love for you to come out to b-sides and just give a talk about you know some of the stuff that you're working on i'm like oh heart's thumping she's you know, giving me a formal invite. By by no means do I want to let her down because you know she's she's an awesome mentor. This early on in the game, so I was like, I'll do it. And I spent like weeks making sure that this talk was perfect. That's <laughs> and, awesome. And it was it was well received at the at the B sides there on that uh, second nice. floor of that pub in in Toronto here.
2: Yeah, that was 2015.
0: Yeah, a small little group, and
4: that was a great one too.
0: Yeah, I really like that one.
2: That's good. Yeah, and she's a perfect example of somebody who's like. Very experienced and knowledgeable and generous with her time for, for mentoring mm-hmm. those kind of things. Yeah.
4: I really think, like, everybody probably over 30 came into the security, com- like, there was no such thing as a security school, security, program. security <laughs> program, like, you couldn't get into it anyway except for through hard work and side channel attacks. Like. There's no other way. So when people come to me and they they tell me things like, "Oh yeah, getting into security is so hard," and like I really don't, I find all these people really intimidating because they've been doing it professionally for like ten years, and like they started out in exactly the same place as you're in. So what they're really looking for is a like good attitude and follow up, right? Making good on all the opportunities that they give you, um, because that's where they started too so we're all like you see these people who have been doing security for 10 years or like 20 years or whatever it is and they all came from that same place of like i'm gonna tinker with this thing and then something's gonna happen and i'm gonna be given like a one window opportunity to get into security and i'm gonna take it and run right so i think that's one of the reasons why you get so many people who are willing to mentor because they were mentored and they know how important it was to be given that one opportunity. So if you take that one opportunity you're given, you ask for it and you take it and you run with it, people will help you.
0: Yeah, and another thing uh, that that I kind of uh, looked at as well is, you know, instead of just looking and going around and saying, "Teach me," like be my mentor, um, I find that you know, reaching going to these events, you don't just uh, establish like career or professional relationships. You, you build friendships with people that are you know, both younger and older than you that might know more or less knowledge than you. And that friendship, that bond that you establish with them is just naturally going to become a mentorship because you're going to teach them about some things that you learned or about your perspective on the security industry. And they're going to do the same thing, vice versa. And it's that kind of bond. And, you know, it's a really small industry here in Toronto. Like everyone really knows everyone else. If you forge one bond, you're, you're forging five to six others just just by um, you know, yeah you're reaching in out. yeah exactly and, and being and as you pointed, just not being an asshole, just being opening <laughs> and, and and friendly and, and giving. Uh, those are really like some of the the core qualities and the, and the core values that I find that the Toronto security community really fosters and tries to promote.
1: Okay. Don't be afraid. I, I'm a little more of a like low low energy person. Sometimes I know you're kind of like keeping your tone. A little more calm don't worry man like <laughs> get in there like you guys are talking to each other
0: yeah I'm, I'm definitely someone naturally I'm very to myself in front of the computer like hardly like to talk and all throughout like high yeah. school and college I was always very very quiet and it wasn't until I kind of just told myself listen like there's that inner person inside of you that just wants to be a little hermit but uh, when you're around people that that share the same passion and knowledge as you that person just totally goes away and it becomes like me just being a fanboy of like the whole industry or the people that I'm around. So I can't, I can't contain it sometimes. Just, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Otherwise I think a lot of the three of us here, you picked a, a, a good or a bad crowd. Really. We're not that like loud. I think in the security community, if you're, if you're experienced enough, you are pretty chill. Like you kind of have to be because shit, sorry. Things can, like, you you run across problems all the the time, all the time, and so you're just, you have to relax, right? And a lot of us are introverts, too, so putting yourself out there and talking to people and making a connection is actually very difficult. It's not always comfortable,
2: but it's always worthwhile. Yes. Right.
4: (laughs) In fact, almost 100% of the time for me, it's a little uncomfortable, but you kind of have to do it, and you get used to it, and it is actually totally worth it.
0: Yeah, one one question that I have for you, uh, Ophelia, is uh, how did you get like Arlen to drag you out on that fail panel at that sector? Because that's where I have we first no met. Idea. That's, that's where we first met. And someone being an introvert, being on the I fail panel, The fail panels no
4: not idea. for introverts that by default.
0: Is the <laughs> I was sweating buckets. I was just like, oh god, what is he going to throw at me? <laughs> Those are I'm, awesome.
4: I, I suspect it's like I know a person who knows a person, right? That that is sort of how it it works is that I met a lot of people in sector through Ben Shapiro who used to be my boss he's probably my first boss when I started in security consulting right and so he knows a bunch of different people and every time I show up to some place he's like hi and then he introduces me to somebody else and I'm like hi I
2: I think she's substantiating your point about how meeting one person equals like many more
4: Yeah, Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs) Because Ben and James uh, are on Liquid Matrix together.
4: Exactly. Uh, So you meet all the people. And then I'm pretty distinctive too. Like as a woman in the industry, I'm pretty distinctive. So when they were, I think they were just looking for a person for a last minute substitution. And they're like, okay, well, this person won't put her foot in her mouth too much. Uh, I actually, I think they prefer a, a little shot.
2: bit of foot and mouth on the fail yeah. panel.
3: <laughs> it makes it more that's
2: entertaining why I for everybody. Too much as opposed to yeah, not yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, for me, it was a shout out to uh, Curtis Armor for doing the whole switcheroo on me. God, that guy! He was like, Nick, I, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go to a different conference. I'm not gonna be there for the fail panel. Uh, James has really counted on me to be there, and I, I told him I'd find a replacement, and you were the top guy. You were the best person for the fail panel. And I was like, I don't know if that's a compliment or or an insult. Take it take it as a compliment,
2: <laughs> absolutely.
0: Uh, and then that's when I met James, and uh, he just laid it out on me. He just was like, all right, Nick, Mr. Cyber, let's do this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> By the way, Curtis is another person who came up as a student who got active in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah. That's how I met him. Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, and uh Uh,
0: he's absolutely a a close and dear friend of mine and uh and like like uh, we were saying like one connection leads to another and he went to school with uh, someone that I went to high school with and uh, I reached out to him on on LinkedIn and we grabbed a quick coffee right after my my meeting with with Laura Payne and it was at that point when I was like all right literally I'm gonna creep someone on LinkedIn and see (laughs) what their connections are and just find out how many mutual connections we have and you know, if you look at this, this bubble in Toronto, it's very close knit.
2: And if you know one person and you leave a good impression, you find lots of mutual connections.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's actually how I met Curtis was I met you and him at the same time you guys were doing a a talk at B-Sides and it, I really got the sense that I actually thought you guys had been working together for years and years because you guys were very close and like kind of vibed off each other the way you presented.
0: Yeah. Curtis, Curtis and I just, we just are around the same wavelength, uh, you know some of the stuff that he's really interested in right now, which is like the endpoint security using the MITRE ATT&CK framework to do uh, post exploitation testing. Uh, that's something that I'm you know a huge fanboy of right now, and I'm actually building platforms on the side to really help out and, and give back to the to the community by open sourcing this technology. And Curtis has just been nothing but a, a force multiplier and enabler, someone that you know constantly shows me the latest tweets, the latest uh, researchers. Uh, Uh, white papers and just really helps foster some of my research and my development in that space. So you'll really start to gravitate towards certain people depending on what you're really passionate about in this industry. And Curtis is definitely one of them.
1: Yeah, I really get that sense of community from you guys.
2: Yeah, yeah. You thought you were reaching out to competing communities, and it's totally the opposite. Um, there, <laughs> we're all just servicing much, the community different ways.
4: There's too much need for people who are decent at what they do. We can't afford to compete. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's no competition. Everyone's like working together to the same ends. I, I actually have a
2: question for, I guess, all three of us, really. <laughs> but, um, I, I was having a chat earlier this week with someone from Ontario Economic Development, the focus on tech economic development. Um, which kind of raised some interesting questions about what would be the best things to do to help drive more economic development in this area, specifically cybersecurity in Toronto. What do you guys think is missing in the community? Like, what would help people develop skills here, bring more jobs here, build the community even more? Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting question.
0: Yeah, so I I, I probably don't have. Uh... Like the the answer, but I do have some some ideas. So there's I, not a silver bullet to this question. Yeah, no, that's exactly. Sure. <laughs> um, but uh, I recently had the opportunity to actually uh, go to to Israel to Tel Aviv to check out what our operations over there was was doing, and uh, it's just a different sense in Israel where you've got the schools, the companies, and the government, you know, all they have working a culture together. Of security, though, yeah, they yeah. do. It's, it's baked into them at it, young it is age. 100%. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I definitely saw was that the government and the companies were 100% invested in the next generation. So all the after school programs, you know, going to like uh, you know, grade schools of like, you know, individuals in grade 6 and grade 7 where they're given, you know, the opportunity to learn cybersecurity as an elective. Like we don't we don't have that here. That's awesome. And uh, yeah. being able to foster that after school program um, Brian you and I were talking before the podcast about you know robotics and how that yeah. was something that we're both really interested in and, and I was a part of the robotics team back in high school um, I wish I had some sort of like cybersecurity, you know ethical hacking uh, meetup or, or, or team that I could be a that was, part of
2: that was age appropriate
0: that was yeah, yeah, yeah that was age yeah, appropriate that was facilitated
2: by companies and the government um, to really foster that next generation interesting it, it, it's funny I I was thinking also it's the talent development problem as well, like my answer was, was somewhat similar when I was asked that question. Uh, I know like from a switch hats from totally community to sector here, because despite being a for-profit business, sector is very much about supporting the community, and one of the things we're doing this year is adding closed captioning to all of our videos. So yeah, you can buy a ticket to come to sector, but we make all the presentations available for free online after, and then so that they could be used as teaching aids and fully accessible we're going to close caption them that's like our little small contribution but it's those kind of things making more and more the content available to a broader audience investing in uh, high school I think programs I think is worthwhile I think it's also worthwhile just as inclusion in curriculum just for like online safety (laughs) right just Mm -hmm. an awareness there but yeah to, to develop the talent pool I think is really key yeah, cuz um, you know, we're
0: we're definitely challenged as an industry to, you know, to find, you know, new and upcoming talent and, you know, there's just not enough people out there, um as as you can look at a lot of the the stats out there and everyone's saying find the talent, find the talent, but you know, you have to take a step back and say, well, if there really is no talent, then we got to start developing them and right. going it's back about and creating the them. talent. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know.
1: Uh-huh. And there's different things you can you can do to to support that. I, and one of them is about security capture the flag events, CTFs. And I remember I didn't even hear about the concept of a CTF until I was in my last year of high school. And then I never, I didn't find out about one that was actually happening until I was in, I think, second year university. It was the first time I found out about one that I could actually go to. And it's a lot of work to put an event like that on. But I'm surprised that there's not more of that.
4: It's mostly people doing it in their copious free time right now. So that is the problem with not having official sponsorship and um, funding for those types of things, right? So I talk to my dad about this every once in a while, and he's in the tech field, but he's he's in software development. And they have the same problem as finding good developers. And it's just, I think we're both in agreement that it is a problem of like, there's only so many people who are good with technology in the world. And so that percentage, you have to maximize capture of those types of things. Mm. And it's the same, like he likens it to hockey, which is exactly the the model that is being used across like the worldwide over That's to right. uh, maximize the talent capture in any particular field. We have it for sports all the time, um, but we don't have it for tech, which is funny. So if we wanted to maximize sort of the um, the number of people who are entering the science and te- uh, the science and technology stream, and then also develop the talent in like various areas, we would really need to have something like hockey, yeah. uh, the hockey equivalent for like children, right? They start doing the lead up to like playing hockey when they're what like just old enough to put on skate. Yeah, right?
0: The whole Timbits. Exactly. Paper, right? yeah. So
4: so why we don't have anything like that for uh tech when kids that age are picking up their parents' cell phones and looking that at them, I'm not quite sure, but that's probably because the people in technology, even the people who are doing technology themselves don't teach start teaching their kids that young. Well, so, I,
2: I was going to bring up, uh, like, the we were talking about First Robotics before we got started here. Mm. They do start really young with First, first Junior Lego mm-hmm. League, and then it moves to Lego League, and then to the high school, you know, 140-pound yeah, yeah, kind of robots. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's systematic. a little bit of opportunity there It's at least grade school level that... And that, that stuff is pretty amazing. Yeah, and what you're
0: looking at right now in the industry and what it's trying to do and in the community is you know, you've got you know, movements like the Hour of Code mm-hmm. where you're going to these schools and, and you know, taking an hour out to teach people how to program. And, and that initiative is being you know, pushed down you know, from, from the very top, from you know, I think the prime minister and mm-hmm. Barack Obama wrote some of their first lines of code during the Hour of Code. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, and what, what we're looking at uh, is maybe facilitating uh, something similar to that, which is like the Hour of Security where we can go in and, and teach some of these kids. All right, so you built a little web, web application, uh, and you know, kind of, you know, your basic HTML and JavaScript and how to run a small little Tomcat or Apache server. Um, let's let's break into it. Let's see what it, what it takes to crack this sucker open. I'm sure kids these days, you know. It's this whole generation born on the internet. Mm-hmm. They
3: they
2: would love to harness. They've that. been picking up a knife since they could chew on the corner. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> they they have this deep deep passion right now with the internet and with technology, and they're all craving this knowledge. And they all feel like it's some forbidden, you know, crazy hacker elite skills. Um, but you know, if we can tap into them, you know, at an early age and, and show them just how easy it is to apply some some very basic knowledge to the security industry um through stuff like the hour of code or the hour of security uh i feel like that's at least a a good start in the right direction but you know bringing up your point in canada to try to foster something you know to the equivalent of like a hockey community uh with like the security equivalent i feel is a is a, is a very good optimistic view.
2: There are some ingrained things. You talk about Israel, and I mentioned, like, it's ingrained, security's ingrained to them. Mm-hmm. Hockey's ingrained to us here. <laughs> but yeah. but yeah. And, and on the flip side, I mentioned this also, like, because we're actually the opposite as a country on the security side. Like, we're the country that outside of a major city, you don't lock your doors, yeah. and you can't understand right. why anybody would want to break in uh, or take yeah. anything from you, and... um from a cultural perspective, we're just not as paranoid as maybe our neighbors to the south, uh, and we don't have nearly the regulatory demands. And so, it's
4: also a there, there's some the reg- cultural gap there. The regulation is a cultural thing. We don't want to be highly regulated either. Agreed. Right. Um, and I think the other place that we have room to grow in terms of like maximizing uh, our potential is uh, in doing better, like guidance for people who want to get into the industry so there are people who are highly qualified who are like how do I get into security I get this question every OWASP meetup and I get this question from um I think one of my friends did a uh did a presentation for CultureLink which is that uh not-for-profit that talks to new immigrants and tries to do job placement for them and uh, I they, think
2: uh, CultureLink's trying to create a focused area on cybersecurity It's now. because yeah. of,
4: it's they were tr- trying to do that. And then it was partially because of the presentation that we did uh, that my friend took to them that was basically about how do you, like, I'm this, how do I get into AppSec? And I was like, here's the thing that I keep getting asked. And you you're basically asking me, like, how do I become a surgeon? I'm like, a surgeon in what? Right? And so... I put together uh, the OWASP chapter, like the volunteers and the two co-leads put together a presentation that was basically like, here's the NIST cybersecurity framework and here's like a bunch of different paths and here's how people usually get into the industry. Start with like this stuff and then go from there. And I think if we did that for like new immigrants who are trying to find jobs, who are highly qualified in sort of some things but are having difficulty sort of breaking into any kind of industry, they don't realize that security is an option. And yet we're so like system admins who have some kind of background who are interested in some kind of job are just like, I don't even know that I can go find a security job. I don't even know I can apply for these things. And then the people who are currently in the industry who are trying to get over, who are just like, I need that one opportunity because I can't, like I'm HR firewalled at this point. I can't go from one place to another because I don't have the credential. I don't have that like that opportunity those people like just need that one thing they come to me and go what do i need to do to get into this thing do i need this certification do i need this other thing like i so i can tell them about the appsec portion but i can't tell them about netsec and i think that that lots of those types of conversations happen like at the bar or whatever but if we had a a systematic way of actually triaging those people for actual interest and then pushing them into different opportunities. We'd have lots more people in the industry that don't even know they have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Like I get people who are in the QA field who are like, I want to learn how to do pen testing and I want to learn how to do security testing, but I just don't like, can't do it as in my current role because I'm kind of busy so how do I do this in my spare time or like what is the skill set gap that I need to learn and and I
2: guess this goes between like people who are passionate will figure it out really quickly but our industry needs a lot more than just the top passionate people
4: exactly the
2: top passionate people like if you can't figure out how to type Callie into YouTube as a starting place... <laughs> Some
4: people actually I mean, don't right? know that yeah. they can find YouTube videos. <laughs> like,
2: like, you know, there, there's a walkthrough for everything on YouTube. Yeah. You just have to, like, put a little effort into to doing it or going to... Any one of these community events or workshops, right?
3: I I would argue that they're they're already off on the
0: right start by by asking you that question.
2: Yeah, if they're asking you at an event, they're already stepping out way more more than most. Yeah,
0: that that's the that's the first thing that you should you should be doing. Right? Is uh, if I wanted to become, let's say, a surgeon, right? I'm Mm -hmm. in security now, and I want to become a surgeon. Probably one of the first things I would do is try to see if there's any like medical communities around in the toronto area that you know meet up regularly or if there's any surgeons on linkedin that i can just say hey talk to me about what it's like to be a surgeon or or what's it like to be a doctor you know i i know i'm kind of old right now it's probably gonna take me a while to to learn and become a a, a surgeon or a doctor but you know where can i interact with some surgeons where can i learn more uh, do i have to set up a a surgeon's lab in, in my home when i'm not doing security stuff during my day job like being able to ask those questions and uh, having them asked at, uh, at a round table or at, a, at a, an event where there are people that are there that are open and, and willing to at least give them their stories because there is no, you know, like you mentioned a silver bullet to, to get into the industry. Uh, everyone's going to find their own approach, but I definitely agree with you that that is something that uh, us as a, as a community really needs to do a better job of is how do we, um, Include those different perspectives. You know, I would love, I would absolutely love to bring on someone who's interested in security into my team that is a, a a history buff who has learned everything about every single war that humans have have engaged in in the past, and be able to take that knowledge into something like threat intelligence and and pen test engagements, and to be able to use that that art of deception uh, in 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 security audits or in even from a blue team perspective, that different perspective of someone in the arts uh is something that i feel like the industry welcomes and and we just need to reach out to them maybe if if that's what what needs to do instead of waiting for them to reach out to us
3: i think
4: that's the part like that to answer your question about how we how we maximize instead of how we like we are already capturing people for the most part i think who are, who are like passionate, highly passionate figured it out at- Um, and motivated, right? So then if you're talking about maximizing the talent pool, then you're talking about capturing the percentage that doesn't even know that we exist and doesn't necessarily have a passion for it. Because, yeah, on
2: the pen test side, there's all sorts of sites out there that'll teach you through all sorts of mm -hmm. tutorials and, Mm -hmm. like, nicely staged. But, yeah, you have to have that self-initiation, and so we need to reach beyond the people who are all self-initiated and And, self-passionate. And some
4: of them are not trivial to get into, like... If you're interested beyond pen testing in like certain parts of governance or certain parts of, you're like that kind of person, yeah. or you're like interested in appsec, it's not a trivial thing to get into DevOps, Devs like uh, appsec because it's so like people centric and like you have to understand organizations and all this kind of stuff. I talk to students who are very, very interested in security and the the stuff that I talk about in terms of AppSec just blows their mind because they're just like, I didn't even know that you could go to an organization and have so many problems between like the 15 heads between you and your CEO (laughs) at a Fortune 500. It blows their mind and I'm just like, that's because you've never worked before, but this is the type of complexity problem you're having with like people-centric type Activities and so when you're talking about apps, you're in getting farther in the field beyond like very basic like I'm going to run a code scan tool and do some stuff. Then you're talking about really interesting like complexities that you do get in networks, but they're more accessible because you can run VMs or whatever. But you can't run VMs of people, right? If we so, when so do how,
2: does we do we, how do we as a community reach beyond our community? Because yeah. that's really or, what we're talking about. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, like what,
0: so, what are uh, like my question is like. What are we going to be doing next year to not just you know continue to host these these events, but what are we going to do to like better not so much like advertise it but how do we do like a better job with doing that community outreach to the surgeons to the students to the managers to the people that are you know not even remotely close to the tech industry and, and get them engaged or at least get their eyeballs on stuff that that we 're doing?
4: I think people are doing it very ad hoc right now. I just talked to um some of my clients from my professional life are in the financial industry and they've actually started programs to go to high school students and talk to them about security and the different pieces that they're doing um, a bunch of the women in tech groups that i am talking to are cross-functional so you get some people who are from different areas of the tech network just sort of talking to each other about the various mm-hmm. aspects and then they'll do different presentations as well so there are a lot of places where work cross-functional in certain ways it's like we could i think it would be easiest for us to just go talk to our neighbors which is the the, yeah, the, the adjacent feeding, communities yeah the right? feeding like pool the, so we talk a lot to like developers because they're the feeding pool for appsec and they're actually the what is it, the re- recipient of all the appsec kind of activities anyway so the outreach is mostly towards development teams but like netsec is also similar you have very like you have the sock people that you work side by side with if you're in threat intel anyway so reaching out to them is really not that difficult they sit beside you Um, and then the same thing for like people who are in the security sysadmin and their their sysadmin counterparts who are like doing the other stuff I think those outreaches would be super easy to do we just kind of have to do them
1: Mm -hmm. well hopefully this podcast helps get (laughs) this message across and I think you guys have painted a really good picture too about it's about knowledge and it's about getting people excited that are not in this space yet that don't have uh, visibility into what you guys are doing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I know one thing that DC416 definitely wants to do is uh, in in the new year is set up a a CTF that is, I'm not going to say like dumbed down, but a really easy, you know, low bar to entry CTF that, you know, has a a kind of like a hockey sports announcer kind of vibe to it where you've got a round table of professionals that are going to be doing live casts of, of pretty much students and people who don't know anything about hacking, forming these small little teams that have an afternoon to kill and start breaking into 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 boxes and popping shells, and being able to provide that level of not so much just just knowledge but entertainment as well, uh, throw it up on a Twitch stream or on a YouTube live, and allow people to just sit in and watch their their grandma be a part of a team to break into a server is something that I feel is. Comedical, entertaining, and also a uh, cultural
2: shift. Uh, actually, that might help reach adjacent communities as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to watch that. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: And especially if you guys well, have a scoreboard and, <laughs> scoreboard and you could get into the scoreboard and you just see one team's score go like 9-9-9-9-9-9. Nine, 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 nine. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, like I know you crazy. hesitated <laughs> with, with
2: the <laughs> Maybe words that dumbed be down.
4: The it's like, well, there's no other thing except the scoreboard. Yeah. Go at it. Whoever gets the highest points at the end of the hour is <laughs> done. Like,
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: I, I, I know you hesitate at dumb down, but, I mean, the community needs that, too, because a lot of CTFs require you to be just so experienced to mm. enter, yeah. and um, yeah, th- yeah, then people, people get demoralized, right? Because they get there, and they feel like, I can't do this, and... And that's not necessarily helpful unless, you know I mean it's helpful if you're trying to separate the top teams from the top teams, but not helpful for necessarily teaching the, the new ones. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I kinda wanted to and I was playing around with the idea of of just changing around the name and rebranding CTF to something else. Like capturing the flag sounds like something like very heroic and, and warlike. I was thinking of like something like capture the capture the cloth or capture the the little bug that's running across <laughs> the table. Like just something a little more easier for people to relate to and be like, all right, well, like I can, I can do this. We call them workshops. <laughs> yeah, <exactly.
1: laughs> so we've talked a lot about uh, how you guys got started and the, the, the vibe, the feeling in the community of need, needing to have people come in and your willingness to mentor and what that looks like. I want to talk, I want to get into uh, security stuff, like what you guys do day to day and what you guys are most interested in. Like, what gets you riled up? You're smiling big time, Brian.
2: Because I'm doing, uh, I'm splitting my weeks these days uh, on some security consulting work to help build some managed service offerings for a company that's wanting to get in the managed security space and building a, a car show. So I'm like... Nice. <laughs> tell us about very, this car uh, show, because uh, like... Uh, a, a bipolar personality, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so so we're we're looking at hosting a show out at Niagara on the Lake uh, at Fort George and running like exotic and luxury cars around following there's a road following the water. Um and so right now I'm going through getting like all three levels of government to let me close this road and rent cars at speed. Oh, and it's wow. kind of like <laughs> that's awesome like not security at all. <laughs> well, I guess it is if a car goes flying into the crowds, that's kind of like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Physical security. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was actually uh, DC four one six. that was my
0: first talk at uh, at DefCon Toronto to try to like facilitate and get the crowd going was was physical security. <laughs> I was so hell bent on making sure that this event was going to go off really well because I think we we captured maybe like a hundred and twenty people for that first event, and I was just nice. like man, like these people are going to be expecting some good content. So what I did was I built these like little tiny dog doors. Uh, and I had this this sparrows like lock picking set with the snap gun, and I gave a whole talk on on how to break into into locks and how a lock works. And these little tiny dog doors were were just a kind of a, a way to show that you know it's not really easy or not really hard to to, to pick a lock if you just know exactly what to do. And uh, if you got to break into it after the after the event, you got to take your little marker and actually sign the door with the date. And I still bring it to to events like at Sector That's when cool. I was doing. It. Oh, I remember awesome. that door. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, physical security is definitely huge, especially when you've got cars involved. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, the good news is we're hosting it in a fort, so that that helps with the cars overnight. Mm-hmm. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so, so my time's kind of split. It, not exactly the answer you may be expecting. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So,
4: so now the managed services bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might want
2: to focus in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is, yeah, so so my, on the managed security services piece, um, I, I think we all know what a managed security service provider does today and, and is in market doing. Um, there's, I think, a big gap between what many of them are doing and where the market currently sits in the cloud, or at least move is moving to. Um, and so, you know, while there's a lot of device management still out there, and there's a lot of virtual machine management still out there, uh, there's also a whole bunch of SaaS out there and a whole bunch of PaaS and IaaS. And um, those tend to use a lot of like cloud-native tools or tooling or at least have cloud-native tooling available. Uh, many customers end up paying for a lot of this stuff and not having any idea how to turn it on or not knowing that they should be doing something. I put it in the cloud, therefore it's secure, right? Like there's nothing else oh, to do. Yeah. So that's how it um, that works, yeah. You, you know, and so <laughs> I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity to... Help customers with that, <laughs> especially. I mean, frankly, you know, when you buy a box and put it in the rack, like generally, the box doesn't magically just change. Cloud services tend to change at a at a rate whether you like it or not, and so I think there's an interesting opportunity there for managed services providers to really add value for a lot of customers who aren't going to keep up. Um, so, anyways, that's what I'm working on. <laughs> cool.
0: Yeah, uh, that's really cool. Uh, some of the some of the stuff that that I'm working on. Uh, one, with, with, with DEF CON Toronto, I'm, I'm trying to take a step back. I want to make sure that this thing can, can outlive me. If I get hit by a bus, you know, God forbid, knock on wood. <laughs> um, so we've kind of uh, broken up the, the the meetup in the community into different, what is known as tribes. Uh, kind of the same thing that you see in DEF CON where you see these, you know, physical security lockpicking villages you got the voting village and all that. So we've kind of done the same thing here in Toronto, but we've, we've broken it up into, you know, web application security, vulnerability, exploitation, uh, SOC eng for like social engineering as well. and mm. uh, We've kind of tried to get this diverse group of individuals uh, kind of niched together into their own little formations that are, you know, self-governing. They've got their own chiefs that, you know, help promote like their own mini meetups uh, every week. And uh, so I've, I've tried to help facilitate that as much as possible. Uh, and then on the side, just uh, working on uh, open source projects to help fight the stuff going on right now with, with vendors and the, and the snake oil industry that we're in, where you know, you've got antiviruses, you've got EDRs, you've got firewalls, IDS IPSs, and they're, they're all selling fear in order to get these, these products into, into environments. So I'm trying to work on open source uh, tools and documentation and white papers that, that help uh, individuals uh, have, a, have sort of a common testing ground. Instead of having to go to a lot of these labs and pay you know, copious amounts of money for these reports, I want people to be able to test out that they're, that the security that they're investing in works. I mean, it's, it's really awesome. You, know, you brought up cars that you know, a car salesman can sell you a car and you can actually go in there and test drive it and, and watch it work. Uh, it's kind of hard for you know some big antivirus uh, company to sell you a piece of you know antivirus solution, and for you as like a regular consumer to just write a piece of malware and test it out to see if it works. Uh, it's a little difficult, <laughs> so I'm trying to see if I can get into that space and help you know the the common individual test out their security to see how good they are and not completely compromise themselves in, in, in the process. Ideally, yeah. Ideally, yeah. So
4: I wonder if that could be like a an add-on service to a bug bounty is sort of like malicious traffic us kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or just like
0: a how to build your home lab and, and just play around with with hacking tools and, and malware, et cetera.
4: Yeah. Um application security, surprise. Um <laughs> DevOps, surprise. Um yeah, so that's pretty much what I do for a day job and for personal fun time as well so a lot of like getting to know the cloud a lot of getting to know containers and kubernetes and things like that right now uh just because the whole industry is going towards that direction um a lot of automation i'm getting into a lot of automation getting into a lot of like why cloud won't solve all your problems discussions
2: it's hard to believe it won't solve all your problems yeah a lot of like
4: (laughs) a lot of um trying to come up with analogies for why Mm -hmm. shift and lift doesn't exactly work Uh, a lot of uh, analogies for why like auto scaling isn't going to solve your problems, but it might uh it might bankrupt you and that sort of like fun no cloud is not going to solve your problem and then for the people who actually do know that it's a lot of like cloud policy and cloud like other types of things related to appsec obviously um that's my personal time my day job i i help a team run an appsec program at a financial institution and then my other part of my day job, because I'm a consultant, is uh, product development and like some business development for my company. So I don't have a lot of free time, but I try to spend it like learning as much as I can about that part of the industry, where we're sort of going. I'm getting back to writing scripts again and things like this. So it's been fun. It's been confusing, but fun.
1: You touched on something that at first I hadn't thought about, which is that application security is not... focused on the application. A lot of it is about developing policies and working with companies to change their understanding of the systems that they have. Mm -hmm. How much much would you say is is the application side and the network side versus the policy and the company side?
4: So it depends on who you're talking to. Like from a organization perspective, it's almost all policy because they don't have control over the minutia, right? So if you set good policies and you set good expectations and you set reasonable... Uh, incentives for people, I guess you could say, motivators for people, and you align correctly, then things tend to go better than if you don't. And that's sort of as good as you can get, is maximizing your like bang for your buck in terms of security budget. But if you're talking about individual teams, they, they're they only concerned about the thing that they're working on. So, uh, and, and that totally makes sense, right? So I end up talking to everybody from all the pieces of the spectrum. It really depends on who you're talking to. I would say that uh, if I had to choose, I would try to choose policy a little bit more, and not because I like that, but because if you, like I said, if you set set a good policy, you'll get better results across the board, and then the outliers, you have recourse to pull the outliers back in alignment from the bad side, and then you just let the people who are doing better than your standard do what they can. Because that's the way the whole industry is operating, like, that's... What regulations are about that's what all these compliance standards are about right minimum setting minimum bars
2: i, I I'm actually kind of curious to explore what you said at the start around web applications how it's changed that landscape's changing like if you build something in a new cloudy way for lack of a better word and you separate out presentation layer API gateway containers to run worker mm-hmm. jobs like whatever right mm-hmm do you not consider that web application? Oh, I didn't say or, web applications like, are going away. Were you saying just things changing. are changing there? Like, like, how do you see things changing? That, like, I'm curious what, what you meant when you said things are changing there, That, that oh. what you're seeing.
4: Uh, so lots of buzzwords, lots and lots and lots of buzzwords, right? And people are like, oh, I'm going to microservice this microservice. and I'm going to API exactly this, this yeah, and yeah. I'm going <laughs> to use this JavaScript framework for blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, but you're building this thing that shouldn't be like all the technologies have their very specific uses, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, right? But well, I've um, also seen
2: containers with like eight agents, and it's bigger than most VMs. So, exactly. You know, like. <laughs> so, so
4: there's there's a shift in technology, but not a shift in mindset in some places, and then there's a total shift in mindset and no shift in technology in other places, and kind of need to make those two things work for everybody by doing all the translation. Right? Uh when you go to cloud native services or when you go to like microservices, people are like, "Oh, we're just going to break it up into smaller pieces and that that, that that's going to be good," right? And you're just thinking, "Wait, if the thing needs to be tightly coupled, it needs to be tightly coupled." Like you're you in some places, you, you increase the amount of complexity by making something reusable. There are reasons why in software development, they tell you not every problem can be solved by a, by a design pattern, and you shouldn't try to shove everything into a design pattern. Well, that's like cloud, right? It's all design patterned. That's Kubernetes. It's all design patterned for you effectively, and there are some things that should never be solved like that, right? The, the people tell me, oh, I'm going to put all this things on the cloud. I'm like, really? So what's your, like, crown jewel? Like, are you – not everybody puts all the things on the cloud. Pepsi doesn't put their formula for Pepsi on the cloud because that would be stupid, right? So is there such a thing for you? I don't know. Like, it might, might not be a thing, but without saying that that's, that is a thing, you should probably think about it like one level of detail more, right? So – a lot of these things like buzzwords are taking over and people are like, everything has to be AI and everything has to be blockchain and everything has to be microservice, blockchain, like something, I, I, something, I've ledger. I've also been playing
2: a bit in the startup space. If you say blockchain and AI in the same sentence, you got a lineup of investors. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. I, that's
0: I, why, that's I, why you guys should join my crusade
2: against vendor
0: snake oil out so there. So I totally get why people <laughs> yeah, are yeah. doing
4: that. And those things have like tons and tons of utility in the right space. Right, and then people are saying like i'm going to go to a cloud first strategy or whatever I'm going to go like with saAS with PaaS, like this exact same thing, but then they don't really get the specific impl- uh, implications of that, and then the security people also don't get the security implications of those things either because it's an emerging technology right yep. so when it's, this,
2: that's a rapidly moving target like, right it's a
4: huge, <laughs> and then yeah. they're expected to come up with policies that are going to last for like more than an hour.
3: and so that's
4: difficult it is very very it's like a very very difficult thing when um when different parts of your organization are are rowing in different directions and all of them have to come together to make up the security of your application right now you're saying i'm going to go devops or i'm going to go agile i'm going to pull in uh, the operations team who we've traditionally had a very negative uh relationship with and then organizations sometimes go, yeah, yeah, it's fine. We're just going to put them together into teams and then we're going to go agile, we're going to go scrum and that's going to solve all of our problems. And I'm like, no, no, it is not going to solve all your problems. And going microservices when you already can't handle this like tight coupling of three different components is going to mess you up completely because now you have 50 different components you have no idea what to do with and all of them are on the cloud and you have no idea what your asset management looks like. So now you have, you know, 600, instances of stuff that are spinning up and down that you have no idea how to nobody control nobody
2: knows which ones are critical and which ones so exactly it just yeah. it's money. like you've automated yeah,
4: yeah. you've automated your problem congratulations yeah right? it
3: scales now we it can fail even faster now, and now, harder well well and i mean one of scales. the tenets is to
4: to fail fast right but like not being able to recover is a problem. <laughs> it's so a detail. So all of these things are like the whole AppSec space is changing in those ways. And people are, some of them are just like, we're just going to take this whole stack and stick them into containers and then put them on the internet and then break this component into like three different components and call it microservices. And I'm like, oh God, God, please, no. <laughs> so it's not all like that. There's tons of people who are very on the ball with it, but then there are people, yeah. they, they do a lot of explaining to other people. There are people looking for that
1: silver bullet, right?
4: Well, it's not really that. It's sort of like if you're not working directly with that, you haven't really thought through the whole implications. And maybe it's just because you don't have the time for it. It's true. It's like that target is moving every hour, right? But then that's sort of why you ask people to help you with it. And that's where the space is kind of currently with us, is that we're trying to help people with it, is trying to get at least to the next step. Maybe not to like really, really, really fast moving, but... um, the technology changes the, the details change, um, but people don't really change that much. like you want to get secure code, you're still going to get secure code with the same fundamentals the The specific pieces like are, are details you can find SMEs on, right but you can't unless you know what your big picture look like unless you know you're going to run into all these problems at least like five out of 10 of them, right? Go plan for them before you do it, or at least keep them in mind so that when you run into them, you don't get shocked. Like, I didn't expect this to happen, right? So lots of stuff like that. And lots of people are like snake oil, right? They they read the, the product pitch from the vendor and like, as you're gonna solve all your problems. And I'm like, you're gonna add more complexity to your network. Like, will that solve some of your problems? Maybe. But it's not going to solve all of your problems because you've introduced a new problem. So like that's fine, but I think sometimes people need the reminder that you shift complexity around. You don't get rid of it. You can remove a certain amount because you added it extraneously in the first place, right? But then uh, afterwards, you kind of have to deal with it. So are you dealing with it? Are you outsourcing it? like what how how much control do you need? How much control do you want? What visibility do you need? Like, how important is this thing, so lots of things are just like, "No, no, you don't need control over that. Just put it on the cloud just 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 put it on the cloud
2: yeah- underst- understanding what you do need a little bit of snake oil for <laughs> how long that snake oil will be good for, yes. and uh, um, when you don't need it it's it's certainly harder and harder at, at the current pace of things for for like the consumers of this technology to understand, right yeah. and uh, the average will- organization.
4: People, application security moves, I think, even, like, I've not been in a net sec space, but the app sec space moves really, 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 really quickly because people are incentivized very much to, like, adopt the latest technology, adopt the latest, like, new crazy thing because the money's there and because like consumers are are there right so all the mobile applications move to like what iphone x comes out and the next day there's one and then people are like did you pen test that i'm like couldn't even get a device no i haven't pen tested it right so what do you do like before then i really lots of people are having that problem and it's uh it's yeah, w- It wasn't such a
2: problem space. like, you know, 10 years ago because you did your application rollout on an every three-year basis, mm. <laughs> right? <That's great>. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so that
4: whole, like, how do you move faster thing yeah, is, exactly. a, is a huge problem. And, like, that's on the NetSec side, they're saying, like, we're going to apply AI to that. And I'm like, well, you're going to apply AI to business logic? Like, okay, like, I'm happy to try, but I don't know how...
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, How and,
4: far you're going to get with it yet?
0: Yeah, and to add to like the moving fast part, like I find that a lot of companies will just do a single POC of like just their security products uh, or their security stack, and they'll say, "Yeah, we, we, we did a security stack for for our uh, web application firewall or our firewalls in general, and uh, and they're working, and you know, we we, we here's the proof. You know, we, we tested it three years ago. A lot <laughs> changes in three years. What, what I'm trying to really push right now is uh, continuous testing. A lot of changes
2: with the Vulman release. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And, to, and
0: to run in a sort of I find like pen tests and, and, and you know the red team stuff, it's becoming you know very much of a commodity right now and what we should be moving towards is more of a, you know test driven development and being able to automate as much as we can from a from a unit testing perspective of our security stuff. Because if you can do that and you can schedule uh, this, this automated uh, breach attack and simulation every month or every week. You're then constantly seeing how your security stack evolves over time with the new upgrades and the new stuff that's happening in the cloud. You can even include this sort of automated uh, uh, security test or breach attack simulation in your in your SDLC in your in your in your pipeline. You can literally say that no application will go from dev to prod unless it goes through this attack simulation and it and it holds up. You know, it's not losing well, data or anything. So like there that.
4: are some problems with that because it takes a while to actually run attack simulations, and people in a lot of places are not ready for that. They're yeah. just not ready for it. And then also, well, how,
0: how long would you say is too long?
2: Well, yeah, I was going to say, you think that they're not ready because some of the people, timeline, or because they're not ready because they won't know how to respond to the results or um, interpret the results, of or so if you're talking about like people the who
4: are not very. Mature in the space, but they don't know they they haven't connected all the dots yet to be able to do anything with it. You're talking people people who are mature in the space of DevOps, but not DevSecOps. They they don't want jobs to run more than five minutes, and then their and then they're like business owners are basically like, yeah, because I want this 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 stuff to ship now. I wanted it to ship three days ago. I wanted mm-hmm. it to ship three months ago. Um, so. That thing hmm. that you're going to run that's going to take, like, three hours, forget it. It's okay. not happening. So that,
0: that's way too long. And That's not something that I'm pushing for at all. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, you need something a little bit more agile and smaller, too.
4: So that's yeah. where the AppSec space is struggling right now is, like, how do you, one, how do you define microservices and how do you get your test cases small enough but still useful to find a bunch of things? And then how do you, like change the mindset of people so that they start looking for things like business logic threats that are things you can't automate or don't really want to trust to automation because they really have everything to do with like human ingenuity. The stuff you hire testers for, like pen testing. the commodity stuff of like checking for random stuff that you can do by regular expression is going away. But the pen testing firms that are like, that are good at what they're doing are moving towards holistic system wide testing and through business logic testing and things like that it was impossible to explain. So that part of like how to break up all these security activities into something that works in the dev life, life cycle and like so many people are saying we're not going to slow down development. I'm like you guys you're adding stuff to development. Of course you're going to slow stuff down, but like There's a reasonable trade-off between those types of things for the amount of security that you want. What that reasonable trade-off looks like is a totally different story, Mm -hmm. right? If you're talking about like automating test cases, you're also talking about like test case grooming. You're talking about like now doing testing on your test cases and all this kind of stuff. I
0: I always believe in that that seesaw of like, yeah, okay, we're going to be slowing down development. But if I'm building an application that's supposed to be secure by design mm-hmm. and my whole company, my whole mindset, my whole team is wrapped around that. I'm going to have to say, listen guys, I'm going to have to take a couple of weight off from one side of that seesaw of convenience and mm-hmm. put it down to the security side. It's, it's, it's a, it's a must. If I have to make you guys wait an extra five minutes to, you know, test out your stuff in, in, in an instance somewhere, that's, that's the bullet that we all have to, we all have to bite, right?
4: It in a way. Yes. Um, So one of the major challenges that I have with the companies that I have is that they're still changing their mindset from like being blockers and being like very gated and like the waterfall methodology to like a next one, right? Not all of them. Some of them are already there. So you can have that conversation with them and you can have that conversation about like, no guys, we're just going to, you're going to have to sacrifice something for this. But the the mm-hmm. portion that the portion of the market that I primarily work with that need like that ask for security consulting services, because they don't know how to, necessarily what that looks like are the ones that need to let go a little bit before they, before they tighten back up, right? Yeah. So if you're on the one hand saying I mean, you're going to have to sacrifice time, but but you're always the blocker anyway, there just there's no additional thing you can add, right? Yeah. And then convincing the business that they have to let up a little bit in order to give you give them the wiggle room, give yourself some wiggle room, and then tighten back up where you need it is a very difficult like mental challenge for people because. Also, because compliance hasn't caught up yet either. Yeah, but so, but to also
0: add to your point, like not everything is cloud ready. Not everything can be agile. There's many many processes like you know management of digital crown jewels mm-hmm. and stuff like that that should very much be waterfall based and traditional. And all the stuff that is you know agile and fast moving, um, I feel like those buzzwords have really sold to those those executives that are really trying to now push all their projects to be agile to now adopt the mm-hmm. cloud because they want that you know, that cost reduction. They want yeah. that flexibility. And and they, I totally understand. Yeah, and, and they should know that, you know, if you're going to be moving that, that route, you, you should also si- try to incentivize those groups inside of your inside of your organization to do stuff like, all right, you want to use the, um, you know, the DevOps pipeline here to release your application. You must have at least, I'm going to put a really low bar, but like 50% or 30% code coverage at the bare minimum. If you've got no code coverage, then I'm sorry, you're just not going to be allowed to, you know, push out using this pipeline. You're going to have to go hire a PM and do it the waterfall way, right?
4: Yeah, and that that requires the business to actually take it very, you, very seriously. You almost incentivize
0: the them to mature their development model by by saying, "Listen, you guys need to start adopting the proper, you know, development standards, uh, or else you know face the the wrath of uh, an eight hour or you know a two week you know pen test of your application before you can release."
4: That's where it gets a little bit iffy with people trying to maintain old, like some of the old milestones and do new ones is you get the friction. So we're constantly in a level of friction with like different parts of business wanting different things. That That's normal. It's not a problem. It's not unexpected or anything like that. But you are in that area. Like we are in the area of friction completely. Every single aspect of the business changing its mind, the people like going, "You guys are crazy." The technology changing rapidly, the supply chain changing rapidly. Like the whole thing is just a moving, like huge moving target. So, like you can say that from a policy perspective, and that's why I say that policy is important. But that policy has to, like I said, last for more than five minutes, right, or more than an hour. And it's chall- like it's a little bit challenging to get there. It's a, it's a very. But just like everything with technology, with systems, it's a very complicated like issue. Anyway, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that getting to the point where you can say stuff like that, where people have the buy-in to say stuff like that, is a non-trivial task.
2: I, I think it's mm-hmm. a little bit colored by the fact that you both are working with very large financial institutions. <laughs> in the, you can get, th- get there This commentary a much, might be slightly different as you came down market. But, um,
4: you can get there a lot faster with uh, with small companies than they have a budget problem.
2: Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, and there's and largely a, a budget and skill. Pro- like, and you know, the big companies, shortage. they might have a bit of skill cap, but then they go to a consultancy. consultancy um, as you come down market. Yeah, they don't have budget and they don't have skills. And,
4: yeah, so they um, tend to prioritize, like, development first. That You have to kind of be in this space where you're, like, maybe starting to be from a small to medium business before you start paying that much attention to it. Like the last company that I worked with was a 20 some odd person company when they were SaaS and they had just started paying attention to security because they like people, they were going after big fish, and that those big fish said, "You don't have ISO twenty seven thousand and one. Yeah, we're not going to work with you until we're, you have at least." Yeah, a we don't. And then they're just like, "How yeah. how much time would it take for us to become ISO twenty seven thousand and one compliant?" Exactly. and like, so "Oh there's always the return on Lord. investment of, yeah. of
0: adopting that policy and that that shift. And uh, you know, it, it's it's going to be different for every single company. You know, and I definitely agree with you that the the small to medium sized business will probably Benefit the most from from actually including security into their DevOps pipeline, but it's it's difficult. The big companies they want to build it, but they're they're too slow to, to adopt it, and they've got too much bureaucracy to fully adopt it in every single one of their lines of businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the smaller companies they just they don't even care about security. They just want to get that MVP out and and, and show it to some angel investors, I, right? Like, I would yeah. say that some of
4: them even care. They just can't do anything about it. They need to keep the lights on.
2: Yeah. Right. yeah when you have a very limited limited budget to spend yeah 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 it's are you gonna choose to hire spend that carefully?
4: one security person, and yeah. that's usually what happens is you end up hiring this one security person who does everything so it's a it's an interesting problem on both ends, like that middle tier where you're where they've sort of come from that background and they are really like very good one with technology is rare, I would say. And those people don't need security consulting, so I don't see them. <laughs>
3: yeah.
4: I get to talk to them. I get to go to their talks. I get to listen to them talk at conferences, and that's pretty much it. They don't need us.
2: Fair enough. Where did you want to go I'm next?
4: Sorry, detour. No, that was, perfect. no that, that was
2: that was a fun detour. I enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> I love the passion
1: that came across on that. And if I could, if I could rename this to the Tangents Podcast, I would. I think that's that's what comes across the best. So highly encourage. Tangents. That was a fun tangent. I think. Yeah, more tangents. So recently, Australia and New Zealand uh, banned Huawei devices from their upcoming five G mobile networks, and the United States has already banned Huawei devices for government employees too, due to national security concerns. Uh, all of this came after the Chinese government passed a law requiring companies to help with national intelligence efforts. We don't know yet what Canadian governments will do, um, but what do you guys think of this whole situation that's unfolding?
2: Do any of us want to make like political commentary and state, nation-state yeah, cybersecurity so not, commentary? Yeah, so gonna, I don't know. <laughs> so, from a from a government
0: standpoint, I'm going <laughs> to refrain from providing any advice okay. or commentary on that. But from a from a from a corporate and an enterprise level there's definitely you know insight into that there's you know companies that actively they hear about this and they they either break ties they you know look into their um, their master service agreements with with the companies um, and they they actively you know keep an eye on it and they, they put their thumb on that pulse um, and I and I guarantee Canada's doing the exact same thing um, you know definitely you know they're not going to listen to uh, really strong and and close allies and just say, yeah, we're just going to ignore the stuff that you guys are doing, I definitely see that, you know, this is something that's the on. The five eyes
2: tend to work together. Yeah,
0: yeah. it's definitely on their radar. Um, I know that um, enterprises are, are definitely not just looking at it, but they're, they're, they're looking at this as actionable intelligence, and they're, they're definitely doing things about it. Um, but from from a government standpoint, you know, I'm going to definitely refrain back and just say, you know, they, they definitely, they're, they're listening in.
1: They're definitely listening. In. Let's just
2: say nation-states are active. How about that? Yes. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yes.
4: I would say that we're going to see a lot more people focused on supply chain because of the very, very public incidents that are happening and that it's kind of about time, I would say, just because like we've been using economic and social uh, pressure across all of the other physical spheres – Forever, why? Like it's gone fully into cyberspace now. I'm, I'm kind of surprised it didn't happen sooner.
1: Yeah, that's my feeling too. When I hear about these stories, is we've already shifted everything to be about technology, and that's where all our economics are. But we haven't, as a global community, looked that carefully at security of devices.
0: Yeah, but uh, to to definitely to add to your comment on the on the supply chain i'm also not surprised that it's you know definitely coming out of china i mean look at a lot of the pcb board manufacturing the device manufacturing and where all this is coming from right it's uh it's definitely really easy for for them to have started this and begun this years and years ago because they've had that that kind of step up on on everyone else uh from the from the actual component manufacturing to the SMT, you know, system mount technology, you know, all of that is, is something that, you know, is right in their wheelhouse. So...
2: And, and backdoor firmware is decades old.
4: Yeah. Like, so I, like, I
2: feel... That's like, an idea. Uh, as, as implemented. Yeah. And I'll just leave it there.
4: I, I feel like <laughs> this is a... Uh, like, people have been doing it forever, and this whole focus strictly on China is, like, an opportunistic thing. It's, like, you're going to use what you have. You're going to use all the resources available to you. Like, why would you not use this one? And, like, it works out that it's cheaper and people are still buying. So, like, uh, I mean, you put your money where where you want to put it, right? To a degree. Where
2: well, you get a high rate of return.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Right. So So,
4: <laughs> like... It's like every other trade embargo, like ever, just now it's mobile devices. I'm not, like, it's not super, super different in my opinion. It's just sort of like you take advantage of what you can, right?
1: Yeah, and I think the way I worded it was very focused on China. um, But even the broader aspect of, you know, backdooring a firmware or um, that if you knock a magic code on it, you know, you get access that you otherwise wouldn't. This concept is not new. This has been around for a long time. Can yeah. you guys talk a bit about what you know in the space and like, what that whole world is?
0: Yeah, so it's, it's def- this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, when, Once you start talking about actual components that are being engineered, re-engineered, dissected, and then pumped out from a mass scale to um, exploit or, or to be used in some sort of offensive mechanism uh, or even just to do some intelligence gathering... When we're just talking about like the the small little components in supply chains for mobile devices and and radio uh, equipment, that is just the tip of the iceberg. You need to look at, you know, all of our SCADA systems that also have, you know, vulnerabilities in them that have been manufactured around the world as well. You need to look at, you know, all the things controlling uh, lights, hydro all these things are, are also, you know, in that space as well. And they're probably not... Hey, if we're going to get into not, IoT, we,
2: we don't need, like, malicious actors to make them That's insecure. Yeah, <laughs> there's seriously. There's a, a ton
0: of squirrels out there, too, that can just make them go offline as well. Uh, but it's, it's, it's one thing to say, you know, we've got a lot of these components, we've got a lot of these uh, PCB boards that are now uh, an attack vector, uh, but we've got, I can't, like, maybe... 10, 20 devices just in this room alone that could, you know, also be used, uh, you know, to to compromise all of our security here.
1: That's right. They're, the prevalence of these devices, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we don't even think about it for the most part. You know, so we don't thing. need
2: malicious actors to make okay. them insecure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's lots of companies on our soil doing it.
1: I love yeah. the, at DEF CON conferences or any, there's an, anytime somebody mentions IoT, you take a drink because yeah. they're just everywhere yep. yeah
2: they're the, everywhere and they're suffering the late 90s early 2000s type security problems yeah, yeah. default passwords clear text it's like, like just the basic 101 stuff never mind like and things more advanced on like 10 year old apache yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that's the, true it's I like, like the idea of being being able to be you know hacked by a by a coffee machine. <laughs> that is, that is or the a fish tank. Right a fish there. tank. A fish tank.
1: I haven't heard that one yet.
2: Yeah. The, well, that one is fairly public uh, casino in Vegas. A yeah. lot of data. It was used for exfiltrating the data, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. That was wow. cool.
3: Yeah.
2: S- slightly frightening and awesome.
4: Yeah. But yeah, it definitely. What was the
1: idea? Someone, what, was it, what was it about the fish tank that it was able to be used to exfiltrate data? I think it
2: was simply that it, it, its conversations with the internet were completely unmonitored, and it was
3: the and perfect it place to, it to egress.
0: Yeah, it it's really hard for you to install whatever kind of DLP endpoint solutions onto like a, a an IoT device, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like how do you do that? <laughs> and then from a network side, like all you have to do is just have poor asset management and have this one little device outside of the the network of you know, uh, or network protection, and there you go. You've got the the best port of exit.
2: Yeah, yeah, and a great place to pivot and yeah. walk that's right. your way through the network. And some of these IoT devices have very small processors, and some have pretty decent ones. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, know, um, you get a Many pretty decent ARM Linux. processor. Yeah. It's running a Linux, which
4: well, most they're people cheap understand. Now. Yeah. It used to be what, like EEPROM or like something that's just hard coded. You couldn't do anything else with it. Now it's like it's actually, they're so cheap that they just put full computers in there. That's yeah. right.
0: It's like before. It was hard to live off the land. Now with the current IoT devices, you're you can feast off the land. You're mm. just killing it, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah,
2: they're they're usually uh, all over an enterprise network too. I mean. Um, my cons- my my home network is full of vulns on my IoT devices, like
3: <laughs> my TVs, yes. my Sonos, me, come at me, bro. My- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right? like my-, my thermostat. Tell um, me more, bro. Um,
2: yeah, coffee more. maker, your security camera. <laughs> the everything. security cameras actually have the most vulns of the yeah. hot, easiest <laughs> exploit of everything. <laughs> yes, I'm not even joking right now.
1: Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> I love to talk that um, was about a year ago that they they did a survey of a whole bunch of them they found the most expensive ones were the most vulnerable yeah they had the most back doors
2: like it's it's running some really ancient version of tomcat
4: it's usually <laughs> cuz they've got so many features yeah. and all the features are sort of like semi hacked together out of different pieces so of course you have more surface area and then you've got tons and tons of fun things to look at right mm. But yeah, that's I'm, why they're so expensive. <laughs> because you just add stuff to it. Yeah.
0: Right? I, I'm just waiting for that day when it hits the top of the news articles where it's like everyone's coffee machine just spontaneously combusted and just went into flames. <laughs> because there's definitely researchers out there that are like, these IoT devices aren't just you know computers, but they're computers attached to real systems that can have a, a physical effect on that's the right. environment. And so there's someone out there who's tinkering away trying to blow up their coffee machine.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and people have done research. Some of it's a little scary. Like there's Bluetooth enabled insulin pumps hmm. with vulnerabilities.
2: And medical devices, uh, there's been a fair bit of work in there.
0: Yeah. So definitely something that uh, there's not enough just security eyes on. And there's such a huge push from companies, executives to just say, go, 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 release the new feature, release the new product, release the new device and-, and get it out to the masses. Cause we want to be the first to hit that market because hell, like, I want the first IoT pillow,
2: right?
4: Uh, I totally do <laughs> yeah, The, the nerd in me Sorry. wants the
2: latest every cool thing, right?
4: I'm a dinosaur. Wall- I, like, <laughs> oh, really? can I get this without the IoT? <laughs> can I get this without the IoT?
2: But
0: but when it's, when it's the Wild West like that and when you've got, like, this massive rampant market that can't control itself and it's just, you know, the next big craze, the next big, you know, holiday, Christmas is going crazy with, you know, consumers buying and eating all this stuff up Mm -hmm. um it's it's because it's so new until it becomes a norm when yeah my whole house is iot and everyone else is talking about how everything's iot that's when (laughs) i feel like security is going to be more of a factor but right now since you know it's
2: it's already iot from your front door (laughs) lock to your thermostat to, I don't know, I did a press article earlier on sex toys, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? But like, but like, yeah, I feel like right like 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 now it's at like the, they're it's all at the there.
0: early adopter <laughs> stage right now, right? Um, like it's just, if, if, we, if I were to try to compare this to, you know, maybe like 30, 40 years ago when like maybe only like one of us at this table would have like a, a, a decent computer or a personal computer, I yeah. kind of feel like right now you're like the only one with like a decked out
2: uh, IoT home. Yeah, um, and I'm probably also I mean. one of the few people who, like, scans for Vuln's in their
0: oh, own. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you, if you look back at the, you know, like, you know, 30,
2: 40 years so, ago.
4: So, let's talk about, like, what security tools you have in your <laughs> network. Huh? Yeah. Let's do it. Sorry. <laughs> I All
2: think right. I've shared enough. <laughs> I was, I was for him to just close it off there.
3: <laughs>
1: Thank you, Ofi, Nick, and Brian for being on the podcast. We covered a lot in this episode. And if there's anything you'd like to know more about, have a look at the episode notes. And remember, this is your community, Toronto. Connect with us and send us your feedback at Podcast on Twitter or at torontotechpodcast.ca. Today's closing features music from a local Toronto band. This is Nomu by Good Kid. Thank you for listening.